Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
What a song. What a song. Happy Thursday, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the Rory Sodder Show. I'm Rory Sodder, your host. It is great to be back with all of you. I have missed you all since last night. We had an amazing show last night. Everything you could want in a program. Perfect rhythm, unbelievable flow, amazing guests, and we mesh so well. You know, the show just keeps getting better and better, keeps evolving, got a lot of plans for the future of the show. And, I, you know, guys, I really love what I'm doing. Um, I, I just admire every single moment with you guys and being able to shine my light. It's really a huge honor. And I have such a passion and huge drive and, and, and motivation uh, for being, uh, you know, in, in this industry. You know, somebody asked me the other day, and it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. You know, they said, they said to me, you know, Rory, you, you've done a lot of, you know, you've done well in your life. You've been successful in, you know, various things, real estate, technology. Why are you getting yourself into an industry like radio that is so competitive and already so dominated? And I said, you know, I'm one of those guys that loves challenges, A. I also am one of those people that will, will have that Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan mindset. We'll all be the hardest working person in the room. To, to achieve that level of success, you know, I, 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 and, and to be honest with you, I, I was born I, I, for this. I, I'm a natural, uh, everybody tells me at radio, you know, I just have a, I, I, ha, I have the, I have the, the gift, uh, you know, for, for this, for this situation. And uh, I just, I think it's important at this time in our, in our, in our life and in society and, and in existence that, we really capitalize on this podcasting industry because eventually people like Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern, they need to retire. There's going to need to be new people that take those spots. And I'll tell you what, guys, I don't get into things unless I know I can be overly successful in them. You know, if, if I, and the radio thing was by accident, I just picked up the mic one day and here I am, you know, it, it just, it just kind of happened. You know, I, I was seeing everybody, doing their own show. And I was so inspired by people like Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern. And I had a lot of influences on the radio. And I always, you know, I, I, I said to myself, how cool would it be if I could actually pull this off? And here we are, 200 and episode 245 tonight, listened to in 25 countries on nearly 70 online platforms. We've come quite a long ways guys. And uh, I couldn't thank all of you enough. You know, it's, it's truly, truly been my pleasure. Um, guys, we obviously a lot to get into tonight. There's been a lot of headlines in the last 24 hours. Uh, as usual, uh, if you need to find any of my past clips, past articles, or breaking news coverage, or even past shows, visit the next N-E-X-Gen, G-E-N-U-S-A dot com. Uh, the weekend is approaching. I hope you all are very excited. You know, I, it's been quite the week for me. It's been hectic. It's been uh, exhausting and uh, I do always enjoy uh, when this when this day comes because uh, Friday is uh, just right around the corner. But uh, you know, I, I hope you have had a good week, though, guys. I hope it's been going productive. I hope it's going accordingly. Um, wherever you are, it's a beautiful night here in Phoenix, Arizona, coming to you live. It's about 75 today in the winter. Now, you, you couldn't ask for anything better, I'll tell you. Uh, there's nothing like the desert. Okay, uh, let's get into it. And, and I, want to, I want to just say, I want to say real quick to every single person out there, uh, we are going to be being put on more platforms here. I've been talking to a lot of networks, a lot of different stations, and we're going to be also put on more 
like I said, online platforms as well as additional AM radio stations. So um, we will definitely be getting into that more uh, here in the near, near future with announcements and all that jazz. So, okay, I want to welcome, I believe he's with us right now. We have activist and writer uh, Sam, Sam Tully. What's up, buddy? How are you? Hey, Roy. Doing just great. Looking forward to tonight. How about yourself? Uh, doing very well, man. Always a pleasure having you with us. Yeah, it's, uh, Always a it's crazy out there, and I'm sure you've got some crazy topics. And if you don't, i I got a couple on my mind, so hey, let's just let it roll. Absolutely, buddy. Well, thanks for being with us, and uh, definitely a lot to get into. Always enjoy your insight and your presence. Good deal, good deal. Uh, I want to welcome to the show, I believe he's with us, we have retired police chief and homicide detective Michael Valsi. Michael, how are you? Fine, Roy. Thanks for having me tonight. Uh, you know, you're getting in this uh, radio business at the right time, I'm telling you. I told you this before. You're not only very professional, and you found your niche in this uh, in this field. But like I told you, I listen to a lot of podcasts, I watch a lot of YouTube videos, and I see people that are trying to be up up and coming. And you've got a leg up on, on all of them. You're uh, you're much more professional than many of them. Uh, you do a great job. I just wanted to compliment you on that. And looking forward to the show tonight. Like we talked about before, Absolutely. the new cycle just keeps getting busy. Absolutely. And, Michael, you're absolutely right. You know, and that's another thing I, I, I forgot to mention. You know, how, how starting at a young age in this industry is so important because you have, you have most of these people that are in this business are – you know, in their older ages, I mean, you don't really have a lot of young people uh, taking over or anything like that. So I think there's definitely that strong niche, you know. I think you have, you know, you have people that are going to be looking for people with your kind of talent. And you're such a young man that uh, you've got a bright future ahead of you. And uh, keep doing what you're doing because you're doing a great job. Well, I appreciate it. We always love having you here. always love your insight to the show. And you always bring great value. So thank you. Um, let's go to, I believe he's with us. We got U.S. congressional candidate from Arizona. Josh, what's up, buddy? Hey, Rory. Thank you for having me again. And, and, uh, congratulations again on uh, all your success that you've had so far. And I, I have a strong feeling that you're going to keep pushing the limits with the show and, uh, and take this uh, a lot further than anybody could imagine. Well, th- thanks, buddy. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I also wanted to say that, the most, the most, the reason most people don't make it in this business in these podcasting industries is because some, most of them will m- do a couple episodes and then they'll give up. A lot of people never stick with it. You know what I mean? And I, I can't believe yeah. I've done this yeah. over two years. That's just crazy. Well, you're coming in on what almost 250 shows. That's pretty impressive. And, and like you said, consistency always pays off in anything you do in life, and uh, you're you're living proof of that combination of hard work consistency and talent and that's what it takes you know so keep it up and never stop amen brother well i always love having you with us a lot to get into tonight and i know you're doing big things so can't wait to hear about all you have going on as well yep all righty everybody so as usual everybody i'm going to get into the small stuff you know uh, a lot of the a lot of the articles and, and headlines that the media will not cover and then obviously we'll get into the main stuff um, and I'll get to everybody on the panel. A lot of guests coming on tonight. 
uh, we'll be having the president of the National Right to Work Committee and the president of the National Rights to Work Legal Defense Foundation, Mark Mix, who's doing a lot of big things right now. We'll also be having lawyer and U.S. congressional candidate from New York, Michael O'Reilly. Uh, we'll be having actress Tracy Lindsay uh, Melkor, uh, political consultant David Jose, activist Evelyn Keeling, uh, as well as founders at Nation Savers 2020, Gary Binford. So, guys, quite the lineup tonight. Great way to end of the, end the week. Um, we're going out strong for sure. Okay, what I want to start with is, um, let's see, let's see here. Okay, here we go. I know what I'm starting with. So the Trump, and this, 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 this goes into what I talk about all the time. Actually, I'm going to wait on this Trump headline, but I'm going to start out with the whole Antifa thing. So... Antifa is about as extreme and crazy and, and, and violent as it gets. I mean, these people, there's no limit. They will go to whatever level. And you know what? They're getting away with anything they please. You know why? Because it's all political. It's all a one-dimensional world order. And it's part of the new – I really think people like Antifa are involved. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say directly with the new world order, but – they're involved with the, the worst kind of people on the left. These politicians are enabling it. They're encouraging it. And a lot of times we hear reports where they're actually funding it behind closed doors. You've got people like George Soros that give all these politicians money that's funding crazy organizations like this. You have all these – if you have money, if you're one of these elites, you want division. You want these people out there in the streets causing all, the, all this – all the, you know, the, the separation because it, it, it creates more of a huge financial market because when you have all these different things, uh, you know, when you can create problems, what, what's the first thing these politicians go to when there's a problem? They say they want more money to fix it. And then, I, I mean, it, it's common sense how this operates. It's the same kind of thing with Black Lives Matter, uh, the, the, the smelly feminists, all these people. You know, these are, these are funded groups by, by bad, bad, dark, dark money. And anyways, I mean, we've seen what Antifa is capable of. We've seen what they've done. I mean, we hear about them, what, on a weekly basis? They're in the headlines more lately than they, they've ever been. They give more media attention to these. And, and here's the sickest part. The lamestream media, CNN and MSNBC, call these people at certain points, they've called them heroes. They've called them, you know, the people that are trying to stick up for what's right. Oh, really? Taking bats and taking golf clubs and taking swords to people's heads and literally getting to the point where you're almost killing certain innocent civilians. You're telling me that's peaceful? You're telling me that's – and why? Why? So you guys are supposed to be the anti-fascist, Antifa, but all they're doing is going after somebody because they don't agree with them. But Antifa, they portray themselves initially. You know, this is what they say they're about. They say they're, they're for everyone, and we all know that's not true because we've seen the violence they create with Trump supporters. It's, it's, it's targeted maliciously at Trump supporters. This is who they want. You know, they, they – and it, this, think about what Hitler 
and all the Nazis did back in the day, all these, these big-time governments, they had groups like this that went out on the street and disrupted things. This is nothing new. This is what communism, these are what these dictatorships, this is how it's orchestrated. Because Antifa, let's face it, guys, and you guys, anybody would be dumb to think this. Antifa was not formed on its own. Black Lives Matter was not formed on its own. Uh, who's Linda Sarsour? What's that woman's name uh, that's in charge of the Muslim group? That was not funded on their own. I mean, th- these are ISIS, not funded on its own. You know, this, th- these are patterns. These are, this is all part of the problem in politics. They need this because they want, they, they, they need it, the Democrats, because they never have any solutions for anything. They want to create all these problems. And, they, and it's the same sort of thing with, we're going to get into the corona, but I, I believe that's a distraction. I believe that's a, a huge uh, purpose. I believe that's malicious, the way that's coming out and the way, yeah, but we're going to get into that. Um, but Jesus, guys, but they're at, they're at a whole new level. I mean, we see them, you know, putting people in the hospital, people getting bloody, people getting stitches, people getting broken arms, people getting severely broken bones, brain damage. Some guy was paralyzed. They're beating little old women in wheelchairs going across the street and their latest stunt is they're blocking major passenger railway railway line in toronto in toronto they're blocking traffic and they're blocking transportation so they had to shut down a major transportation route that goes from a place called toronto to hamilton which is every i'm sure people know canada um but guys, this is just, oh, you can't even make this stuff up. These people are shutting down people's livelihoods because they don't agree with them. They're trying to destroy everything about humanity. These people want to take us back to the worst times in life. Take away Western civilization. Take away our signature values. Take away what we, what we were, you know, the Constitution was, was made into. Take, they want to take away that. I, you know, and, and, you know, we need to really label um, these people. Um, I believe I, – I don't know if Trump's already done it. I think he has. But uh, Antifa is no joke. They're no different than ISIS. They're no different than al-Qaeda. I mean, obviously, al-Qaeda, ISIS is a more severe, crazy level. I mean, they, they behead people and kill people. Antifa isn't that quite crazy. But nonetheless, Antifa is going around harming innocent lives, disrupting economies, um, and, you know, it's, it's just it's sick. It really is sick, sick stuff. And, you know, they, they – um, most of these people live with their parents. Most of these people don't have a job. Most of these people do nothing to contribute their fair share to society. All they do is go out and bitch and whine and feel entitled uh, of stuff that they don't have. That's pretty much who Antifa is. There's no other way of really uh, putting it into context. I mean, these people are extremely miserable and extremely um, – in their own alternate universe. And twilight. I mean, it's like a twilight zone. These people, you know, think that what they're doing is helping, but in reality, so many Democrats that are, are calling this out, but there's obviously a lot that support it, but um, it's turning people away because they're, believe it or not, guys, there are Democrats that can't stand the violence. They hate it and they wish their party would not use it. Um, but yeah, you know, and look at, look at, just look at the shutting down the free speech rally, shutting down, you know, people's social media accounts, shutting down the way people make money. I mean, they, these these leftist groups, they'll go to whatever. They have they have no morals, they have no ethics. You know, it's disgusting. Okay, um, 
let's see here. This is huge. Uh, there was a report out today. The appeals court says Trump can now withhold funding from sanctuary cities. God, guys, clap, 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 clap. I mean, win, win, win. This now gives Trump the authorization to punish any of these governments in places like California or New York that, you know, don't decide to cooperate. You know, if they, we're not going to give you money. If you're not going to use that money for the right reasons and you're going to completely waste it on second-class citizens, buy, buy. I mean, that, that's really, you know, what, what, we're, what we're coming to. That, that, that's how it's going to go down. You know, that, that there's no more taking advantage of, of the, the taxpayer uh, for your own political gain. People like Gavin Newsom and, and Cuomo. You know, th- th- these guys and these people are, you know, th- they are, have done nothing to, to benefit uh, their own citizens. I mean, look at the 2020 agenda. It's all about coddling illegal aliens, giving them free health care, letting them roam around and mooch and freeload and have us pick up the dime. I mean, you know, you can't make this stuff up. And then if you try to question it or try to, you know, say anything about it, then you're a Nazi, you're a bigot, you're hateful. You want, you want to oppress these people? No, we just want people to follow laws. And look at the big slap in the face it is to all the people that wait in line and do it the right way. And all these caravans, all these people coming through, millions of people. We already look at, look at the pile up, the swamp that, that has been created over the years. You have, what, 22 million, 25 million illegals in this country that's reported. I mean, I believe it's a lot more than that. But uh, that's years and years of irresponsibility and special donors special interest groups, um, and we all know. We all know how politics works. But, you know, you got, you got to lay the smack down. You know, sanctuary cities, it shouldn't even be. I mean, we can't go to any other country and have a sanctuary. A lot of times if you go into another country unannounced, they'll kill you or they'll torture you. We're too nice. We're too friendly. You know, and I'm not knocking people that come here to have a better life, but I am knocking people that come here and just have a baby and think they can stay and mooch off uh, the government. It's not the way to live life. How is that? How is that constructed? How is that? You know, it's just it, it goes against what America stands for. It goes against the American dream. You know, we don't want we don't want this socialism take care of everybody bullcrap. We want people to fend for themselves. We want people to capitalize on the opportunity that's given to them in this country because you don't find too many other places like, or you don't find any other place like America. I mean, all these people. That's another thing. You know, all these people bitching about America and how bad of a country it is, but they all come here, and none of them want to leave. Even our own citizens say how bad it is, but they don't go anywhere else. I mean, these people are hypocrites. They're ridiculous. And think about how much money uh, this is going to save taxpayers. They're already saying billions with a B of dollars. So that's special. That is very, very special that we have, you know, this situation intact in place. And, uh, you know, we haven't and thank, thank, thank God for these judges that Trump has appointed. I mean, he's appointed nearly 200 federal judges since he's been elected. And, um, you know, that's 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 un- unbelievable. Obama, if, if Obama was such a great president, he wouldn't have left all those vacancies. But I think the reason he did that because he thought Hillary Clinton was going to win and would do it for him. But Jesus, I mean, look at what – and we've turned around so many circuits. I mean, look at the Ninth Circuit now. Trump has almost ha- has that uh, conservative. I mean, we, we, we're doing big work right now. So high praise, high praise, exciting, exciting stuff. Um, let's see here. 
Um, you know, so Obama, Barack Hussein, white mama, Obama, uh, is now demanding uh, the removal of a plantation attack ad on Joe Biden. And you know what? This is like the first time I think <laughs> Obama has actually come out and talked anything about Biden's campaign since Biden got elected. We've, all, we've seen how Obama wants nothing to do with the guy. Obama is embarrassed by him. Uh, but Obama did come to his defense this time. And because they were there, you know, but what the attack ad is from a Trump, um, from some Trump organization that's affiliated with the Trump admin. I, I, I don't know exactly. It's like some third party. But they did, they did a commercial, you know, pointing out the fact that Joe Biden was involved with Robert Byrd. Uh, he was involved with various people from the South, the KKK. Uh, this is not something that is a false or a lie. So, I mean, I, I, I guess it makes Obama look bad. That's why he's coming out with his lawyers demanding that it gets taken down. But, you know, and, and, and it's for no other reason than that, because it makes Obama look bad because Obama took him under his wing. You know, that, that's the only reason. Obama's, you know, he's conceited. He's, he's ignorant. He's, he's self-centered. He's, he only cares about uh, his own image. In a lot of ways, like just like when he tries to come, he tries to come out and protect himself. At, you know, most most chances he gets. But I will say he's been quiet on a lot of things and secretive. But um, I mean, you know, it's like Obama knew this though when he picked Biden to run with him, that Biden was involved with the South and all these different people, the KKK. Yes, come on, guys. I mean, you know, it's just like face the music. You're good. The truth is, is always going to come out sooner or later. Um, okay, you know, here, here's something that's really kind of disturbing and it, and it, you know, it, it just goes into show how hypocritical and how much of a double standard exists in the Democratic Party. You know, it was announced today that Hillary Clinton uh, took more money from Harvey Weinstein than any Democrat candidate ever. And this is the, this is the female that wanted to be the first woman president of the United States. She said she was all for women's rights. She's written books about it, uh, you know, Miss, Miss Feminist. And uh, she takes money from a guy that has sexually abused many, many, many women. You know, I'm not going to say some. Obviously, some of the um, scenarios were consensual. But, you know, I, obviously, women lie about being raped. I'm not going to say all women lied about the Hardy Weinstein thing. I, I certainly believe some of them were uh, taken against their will. But. I also believe there are a lot that said yes because they wanted to advance their career. And now, since all these people came out, they're like, oh, why not? I should fit into the trend, too, the Me Too trend. So, you know, but that's kind of beside the point. But just getting back to the basis of this, look at the hypocrisy show here. You say you care about women. You say you care about everything, but you're taking money from a guy who – I mean, look, he makes – Harvey Weinstein – from the way he's been painted, the way he's been portrayed, and there's always two sides to every story. And nobody had better tell me that I'm trying to stick up for him because I'm not. You know, but I do believe once you have enough people that say something about you, a lot of people start believing it. And, um, you know, his image, he's done. The guy's done. Uh, I, didn't, I never thought he would see a day in jail, but it looks like now, I mean, he was found guilty. He's going to get sentenced. Uh, they're, they're keeping him in custody until then. And, uh, yeah, but uh, this whole Hillary thing, I, come on, guys, ridiculous. And, and this is not the only Democrat that takes money from people like this. Uh, there's so many Democrats that take money from, you know, sexist men and 
rapists and look at Bill Cosby and look at all these people that gave the Democrats money. Jesse Smollett even gave Democrats money. Um, who else? Oh, Bernie Madoff. I mean, all these criminals. Anthony Weiner. I mean, he was a politician, but nonetheless, I mean, I, you know. But, but, but keep, keep thinking of all these different names of people. Oh, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose. So it, it's, it's an epidemic. It, it's all about, you know, they, they, they say one thing, but they don't act the other. Do as I say, not as I do. And keeping, while we're staying on the Harvey Weinstein subject, uh, there was a new article out today, and this is very disturbing, and I think everybody needs to take notes of this. And I actually believe this, and I actually thought, this might happen, um, you know, a couple days ago, even before the report came out. I was wondering in my head, what if there's a similar situation to the Jeffrey Epstein uh, scenario? Because look at all the dirt. Look at all the things that Jeffrey Epstein had on the, high, the very rich, the wealthy class, the big – look at what he had on them. You, it, he used this on the ins- as an insurance policy. And if Jeffrey Epstein had stuff on Bill Clinton – who Bill Clinton was very close with Harvey Weinstein. If Jeffrey Epstein had, I mean, come on, what you don't think Harvey Weinstein has dirt on a lot of different people. Harvey Weinstein is, is Mr. Hollywood. He pretty much owns Hollywood. That guy is he, that that's where everybody went. A lot of them to do their movies. Um, yeah. I mean, if you ever pissed him off, he blackmailed people for life. I mean, he got people banned. He got people, you know, downgraded to D-level act- actors or, you know, he, this guy, he's ruthless. He's ruthless. And he's, he's malicious. And he damn well, I guarantee you, has dirt on big-time people. And I think that's why prison guards are saying that this could be a similar to an Epstein situation where they're going to try to kill him. They're going to try to kill him because we know what Harvey Weinstein's lawyers are going to want next. Immunity. They're going to say, okay, well, Harvey has some dirt on some of these people that you guys are looking into. What if he kind of spills? We give him a reduced sentence or maybe put, put him in witness protection and keep him out of jail. You know, I, I mean, they, I think a lot of big people that know Harvey Weinstein and have been around him, you know, are scared, especially people like Hillary Clinton. Tell me for a second that Hillary Clinton didn't have something to do with uh, Epstein's death. Of course she did. She absolutely did. She was behind the Epstein situation. There's no doubt about it. I'm not going to say her directly, but she was connected. She's worse than the mob, way worse. And, and Harvey Weinstein, I, I, you know what? I don't, I don't wish him any sort of best wishes, but his life is in danger from, from what we've seen from stuff like Epstein yeah, and you're gonna, there's going to be excuses. There's going to be supposed stories, guards falling asleep, cameras broken, you know. Uh, and even Weinstein, I think, knows inside that he needs to be worried because, you know, if the government wants you, if the big people want you that run shit, they're going to get you. They're going to get you. This is, this is how it happens. Um, let's see here. Okay, um, so, you know, these gun comments are getting out of control with the Democrat Party. Uh, Bloomberg, M- Michael Bloomberg, who is his number, his number one objective, I don't know how he can call himself a moderate, his number one objective is to take your guns. He wants gun control all the way. 
That's what he wants in this life. That's what he's in bed with with so many. You know how many people have money involved in the whole gun control, confiscation, all these elites? He's one of them. They put all their money together. This is not a secret. This is how, this is how the game's played. But anyway, he made this statement the other day saying it can be dangerous and dumb for somebody to have a gun in their own home. Really. So law-abiding citizens protecting themselves from a tyrant government and crazy criminals, that makes them dumb. Uh, hey, Bloomberg, read the Constitution. The reason our, our, our Second Amendment was established was to protect us from crazy people and crazy scenarios. It's our right. It's our duty. It's our obligation. We are Americans. And, you know, this, this whole – in a lot of ways, it's, it, you know, at this point, it's talk. I know they're serious to a, to a high degree, but, I mean, do they really want to go to millions of doorsteps? And you know, you know what that's going to do? Do you realize patriots aren't – we're not pussies like Europe. We're not pussies like these other countries. People don't tell us – people don't tell other people what to do with their guns in this country. You're, you're going to have millions of people that are going to put up the biggest fight you've ever seen if you go – and it's just going to create – think about it. When you've got millions of law-abiding citizens that try to you – know, and that's why the government tries to leave them defenseless because if the government ever wants to interfere, they want to make sure that the citizens can't defend themselves. And when you have all these, defense, these citizens teaming up together, millions of them, the government's scared out of their boots because they don't know how to handle you. But Venezuela, they do because they can't defend themselves. This is all part, this is all part of the plan. And, and you know what? Like the, the whole Bernie comments, how ba- banning assault rifles, it's just the first step. It's just the start. You know what? And let's get rid of the whole term assault rifles or assault weapons. Anything can be used as an assault weapon. A, a pan can be used as an assault weapon. Anything. A, a pen can be used as an assault weapon. And what, what, are, we, what are we talking about? You know what, you know what it is? It's just another label of legislation so politicians can make more money. It's very simple. The more titles they make, the more they can capitalize on an agenda. Very simple what these people do. And they're sick. They're, these people are so out of touch with the, with, with the everyday citizen. You know? I, I you know, I'm, I'm just done. I'm done with it. I'm really, I'm done with it. And, you know, they're, they're, the people, like the Democratic Party, are so desperate, and, and they have all these, brain, you know, they brainwash the public so much that the first thing they do, the first thing they do when a shooting occurs is they blame, is they blame without knowing any facts, they say they, that we need gun control right away. They jump right to that. And the, for an example, the Milwaukee shooting, that a couple days ago happened, Nancy Pelosi is saying gun control before anybody knows any of the facts, among many other Democrat politicians. No, no prayers or no love for the victims, all greed and all, you know, pretentious mindsets from these people. It's all about power, all about power. Um, here's something huge, and, and we, we are... Every, every one of you is, is going to love this. Um, so parents, and we always talk about the whole chicks with dicks, the trannies, the drag queen story hour, 
all these idiots, all these morons, you know, you know, the, the, what they're indoctrinating our stu- our students with, you know, and it starts very small. You know, it started with gay marriage, which, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really think about it. I don't really care. Uh, as long as they keep it out of the church, uh, if they're contributing to the economy, then go ahead. Do whatever makes you happy. But that, that's one thing, and that's how it all started. Then they did the drag queen story hour. Then they did the 100 different genders. Then they said little kids can be gay at nine years old. I mean, come on. Like you're, and then, you know, they want to enable, eventually, it's going to be pedophilia. That's the next thing. That's the next thing. Because it's kind of already to that point. Uh, and now parents are fighting back all over the place. You have parents now in a Wisconsin school district who are suing because the teachers are allowing these children, young children, elementary school, to change their identi- gender identity, and the parents aren't even notified. This is what the education curriculum has turned into. Nothing about learning for your future and what's going to benefit you as you grow up and become a positive member of society. It's all this sex shit that has no relevance to somebody that's seven or eight years old that's still playing with action figures and watching cartoons. I mean, you, this is enough already. You know, and we have to really, because I'm seeing all these poor kids and you've got, you know, I blame the parents that if the parents are aware of this, they weren't aware of this in this situation, and a lot of them are fighting back, but there's a lot of parents that this on and enable it. And I talked about this on my show yesterday. You have a lot of these Hollywood celebrities and athletes that are letting their kids come out at 10 or 11 years old as, you know, the non-pronoun BS, the, the he, she. And think about all the people that follow these athletes and celebrities, and then they start getting ideas from – I mean – I always said, keep the movie business and politics out. Keep the sports business and politics out. It's not the right thing to use your platform for. It alienates people, and it also sends people the wrong message, and it also brainwashes people to, to be on your side, but not for the right reasons. So, you know, guys, this is, we just we have, we have to, you have to you realize, you know, Sometimes enough, enough is enough. Um, so here, here's something that um, is awesome, and we should be applauding this 100%. The Trump campaign, and I talked about this on my show yesterday, how the media needs to take accountability. They need to be responsible and, you know, take action on their mistakes. Admit that, they're, that they were wrong when, when they slander people's lives, when they – purposely go after people's family, their workplace, their, their, their friends, you know, anything they can do. And it's not even about being first in journalism. It's not even about being right in journalism. It's about being first. They don't even care who they hurt. They don't care about what, what the person's future holds, even if the, the story is not true. It's all about an agenda. It's all about appealing to their sheep. It's all about, you know, it, it's about the money. It, it, we can't even get honest news from these people anymore. And, they, you know, they, they go off of literally the, oppo- the opposing the – op- like, I'll give you an example. Anything Trump does good, they make it look as bad as possible. And we see all the lies. We see everything they did with Russia, you know, leading people on for all these years, and then nothing comes of it. And then 
what, what happens to these stations? They keep writing more and more lies still today, and they have, still have all their jobs. And it's like, yeah, life goes on. There, there's, and I get free speech. and I'm not asking to have like a communist China media, but there needs to be something where these people can't just write whatever they feel like. And who are these people that are leading these offices, the head writers, the, 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 you know, the, the, chief, the chief executive that, I mean, come on, you guys are totally off your rocker. Totally off your rocker. And I love what the Trump administration is doing right now. They're suing the New York Times for the fake Russian hoax and initiated kind of, they were the ones that, they, they poked the bear. They were the ones that started all the lies, and then CNN took after, then it was MB, MSNBC, and then, you know, it created a pattern, and then eventually all the mainstream regs, reg mags got a hold of it. That's how it works. And then, you know, but this is, this is what needs to happen. You know, and a lot of times, sadly, because we have biased courts and a lot of liberal judges, these, these cases get thrown out. They don't get dealt with properly or as they should. You know, and uh, I really was glad to see that uh, Nick Sandman won with CNN. I mean, they tried to ruin his life. Jesus Christ, he won a big lawsuit. He's set, to, he's set forever. God bless him. But I hope Trump wins this, and I think he will, as long as he gets a fair um, trial, as long as he gets a fair judge, as long as, you know. Uh, we'll see, though. We'll see, and I hope more gets taken on this. Action. Because uh, even Trump and A.G. Barr want the media to be held accountable, and they shouldn't be able to write whatever they want to write or report whatever they want to report just because it makes their people feel good. It's, it's, it's feelings over facts. That's what the left has come to. That's what the mainstream media has come to. Um, did anybody watch that debate the other night? What a disaster. What a disaster. I talked about it a little bit in my show yesterday, but I didn't, I didn't really get a lot of time to talk about it. But I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, even Democrats in Hollywood are like, what the hell are we watching? But their own party is disgusted by them. And that's saying a lot. That, is, that's, that, that kind of statement carries weight, carries a, lots of merit, uh, speaks high volume. And you've got Chris Matthews, who's the, one of the biggest Trump haters on the face of the earth, saying that these people are a disgrace. Cuomo saying they're a disgrace. All these people, freaking people like Don Lemon, saying get it together. I, these people cannot agree on anything. And you've got Bernie, who's scaring the hell out of everybody, especially the DNC, because apparently they don't want socialism, and they, they know they can't control Bernie, and they know his base is extremely loyal. Uh, you know, I, I think they're doing whatever they can to give it to Bloomberg, Biden, or Buddha judge, and I even heard a rumor at a broker convention, a guy named Dick Morris, who used to work for Hillary Clinton, who knows a lot, um, he said they'll pro- they may give it to Hillary Clinton at a broker convention. I, when I heard that news, I, I don't believe it. I mean, I, Dick Morris is a pretty smart guy, though, but he keeps saying that that's, he thinks is what, what's going to happen. And, you know, I, I, it made me, me kind of you know, think for a second. Maybe he has he, – maybe he's on to something because Hillary has been staying out of, out of this whole – circus maybe if you wanted to kind of i don't know i really don't know i at this point this is yeah this is crazy crazy times you know my my question is how would she i mean all these caucuses are already happening bernie pretty much well 
Well, then again, they stole it from Bernie, remember? Bernie was clearly more popular in 2016. I don't like any of his policies, but he was way more popular than Hillary Clinton, and I can't stand Hillary. But, um, but yeah, guys, I mean, you know, it, it, it's weird. It really is weird. And I haven't heard one proposal on that stage that benefits the American worker. It's all second-class citizens, or it's all giving away other people's money to people that don't work. Free, free, free. Medicare for all, you know, uh, slavery reparations, uh, climate change, Green New Deal. How are you going to pay? These people are idiots. First of all, the Green New Deal is probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It would require to take down every single building almost in America. They want cows to stop farting, stop traveling by airplane. What? And global warming, what are you going to do? Throw stuff into the sky? The Earth's been changing ever since it came into existence. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, you've got more polar ice caps now in Antarctica than ever before. You've got uh, it warmer by two degrees in Antarctica more than ever before. I don't know if anybody's caught that. Go look it up. There's, it, there's been a lot more warmer. Um, actually, no, I didn't mean warmer. I meant colder in Antarctica. Sorry. Um, but no, but in rising sea level, that's not even an issue. Remember Al Gore 10 years ago? Sell your oceanfront property. Sell your homes. It's all going to be underwater. He said this 10 years ago, and he said within eight years, it'll all be gone. Well, Al Gore, if that's the case, you wouldn't have the banks would not be loaning. Banks, the last thing they want to do is lose any sort of money. And if something was ever at risk of something like that, banks would stay away from it. That's one of many reasons why. But if you ask any scientist who's actually not owned by the government, they'll tell you it's bullshit. The only people that tell you global warming is a big threat are the scientists that are on the boards of some of these various networks like CNN or the New York Times or some of these government leftist boards. People know what I'm talking about. Go look it up if you don't believe me. It's very easy to find the information for yourself. So, you know, I'm just reading this, and, you know, they think they can just magically pull money out of their ass to pay for all this stuff. You know, I, I, these, people are, these people are beyond ignorant, and, uh, you know, and they're fighting with each other. And I love it. you you got to love. you got to get amused by all these morons just going back and forth. It's, it's like, get, get your popcorn ready. These, these people are, are completely off their rocker like nothing I've ever seen before. And the moderators, the CBS moderators, the most liberal people on the face of the earth, were rolling their eyes. Like, they didn't even know what the hell they were watching. Looked like they had just went out and smoked a huge joint. Um, I mean, these people, it's like, <laughs> wow. Okay, let's get into the big stuff. Obviously, the big thing today, I want to talk about it. This coronavirus, the corona, baby. Get me some lines with my corona. Um, but, okay, this coronavirus, you know, look at all the people that die of drug addiction every year. Look at all the people that die of the flu every year. Look at all the people that die of uh, cancer every year. Look at all the people that die of all these other different diseases every year. The coronavirus is at the very bottom. And I do I'm – not, I'm not minimizing – the coronavirus, I'm not saying it's not a threat in the future or can be extremely harmful if it's, if it's not properly monitored or controlled. But I think it's getting blown out of proportion. I think it's a big scare tactic. I think they're using it in a lot of ways to try to take down the president because uh, we see all these different scenarios that they've tried to distract us with and tried to, you know, put they – tr they try to put the focus off all the good stuff that's going on. I really believe people like China – especially because their economy is so bad right now and we've won on the trade war and we're beating them in so many ways. 
I think, and I'm not going to say for sure because I don't want to be a conspiracy theory, but everything I've read, there's no way that this just came out of the blue. This was organized by some of the high elite dark money people. I'm not going to say Bill Gates, but people like Bill Gates fund um, testing experiments, you know, breakouts, uh, people like Bezos. You can go look this up too. There's a lot of these elites and a lot of these people in the foreign governments that are well aware that stuff like this is going to happen. And believe it or not, when you disrupt these environments like this, these, pot, these people that are very rich are making money because it's working. It's working for them. And I really think decreasing population in a lot of these countries is one of their main goals. I mean, think about all the people they kill. And they, they really, Nancy Pelosi and all these Democrats are trying to blame Trump for this coronavirus. And President Trump uh, is, is absolutely right when, and I say this all the time, they're always on a new obsession or fixation. They're now saying that, you know, he, he's using the, the coronavirus panic for political advantage, political advantage. First of all, Trump is not panicking. Trump dealt with the coronavirus perfectly and like an adult and like how he should have yesterday in the press conference, put everything in the perfect perspective. Absolutely. Everything, every detail you could want, he laid down on the line. Um, and they're saying he's panicking or not giving enough attention to it or not giving enough money to it. Uh, he gave what? I don't even remember the number, but it's a lot, a lot of money to fight this and to combat it. And we have people constantly in quarantine uh, being watched. You now have 8,000 people in California that ha- are infected with it, which would not a surprise. California is a sick place. We have a lot of illegals there, a lot of people that come in there uh, with diseases, and that's not a secret. I mean, you have people that come from these foreign countries that aren't even medically checked or cleared. Um, but I'm, I, I really, I mean, you cannot say that this just comes out of the blue. It's like AIDS. AIDS was not random. AIDS was planned. That was totally planned. They were testing, and then all of a sudden there was a breakout, and then all these people had it. And think about what they're not, think about what they've done to the whistleblower in, in uh, China that tried to say what these, these government was behind, the doctor. Remember the famous doctor that they had killed when he exposed the coronavirus and how they were doing things to purposely kill people and get people infected with it so you know i'm not going to say it's one exact reason but i think it's a mixture of things i think there's a lot of people that want to take down trump i think there's a lot of people that are mad that the economy is so good in america especially china where this is happening i think um uh, yeah you know this this all all of a sudden guys all of a sudden just randomly this coronavirus is the new the new huge Headline on the news. You know, and, and there's so much hysteria. And they don't want to talk about, you know, the, the other things that kill way more people. And I, I think a lot of this has to do with it's such a popular topic. And when you start talking about it so much, you're scaring people, I think, into more, into more being, being more scared than they should be. But I'll tell you what. I wouldn't take it lightly either, but I don't think it's—I don't think it's as fatal as, as what it's. But I, I do think I do think that we, um, like I said, don't take it lightly. It's it's it, it's a it's a thing that is caught the eye of our president, of of every single you know uh, leader at this point. People are well aware of what's going on. 
Um, and look at the open borders. I mean, the Democrats and everybody else, they want open borders, and they want these people with coronavirus. They don't care who it is. Just come on in. Just come on in. Come on in. We'll pay for you. We'll pay for you to be quarantined. We'll pay for you on taxpayer dollars. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. Yeah, I, you know, guys, this is it's this is ridiculous. Um, let's go to. Uh, I'll start with you, Michael Valsi. I'll start with you. Go ahead, retired police chief and homicide detective. Okay, Rory. Since you don't want to be the conspiracy theorist, I, I'll probably throw a few conspiracy theories out there. I have some thoughts on this uh, coronavirus. I, I, number one, I believe the Democrats are using it because they're totally out of things to throw at the president. So the uh, the obstruction of justice failed with Comey. The Russian uh, collusion failed. The Ukraine failed. Everything they've thrown at this man has failed. And, and they're out of ammunition. And they know Barr and Durham have an investigation going. They need to try to take him down at any cost. And if it's disrupting the economy and creating panic over the coronavirus, I think that's the case. And as we talked about many times on your show, you know, the, deep, the CIA had deep state assets in every country. China was no exception, many of them in China. Our government in the past has done everything they possibly could to prop up this Chinese government by letting them steal secrets off Hillary's open server, you name it. Uh, this virus was created in a laboratory. Every country has bioweapons labs. Wuhan is known for the bioweapons lab in China. This virus is patented. Now, were all these other viruses patented also? I've never heard about viruses being patented. They're usually something that just springs up, and you have to scurry around to try to find a, a, a vaccine or something to counteract the virus. So this virus, they have the patent number on this virus. So I believe the Democrats are using it to try to take down the economy. I think China, despite what uh, media reports are that uh, the Russians and everybody want to help Trump, if anything, they want to help anybody but the president because he's the one that's holding their feet to the fire, financially, tariff-wise, um, trying to get a fair shake for the American people. I think the president was way ahead of this thing going all the way back to where he put the travel ban in place. I think he knew this was coming. I think he knew that they were gonna throw it at him. I think this virus was released intentionally. You notice one thing, Rory, you don't see any more protests in Hong Kong, do you? Waving the American no. flag and singing the national anthem. That went by the wayside, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, it, it, certainly, it, it certainly put a stop to that. I believe that, uh, you know, if you listen to what the president said and you watch, I've watched some medical uh, people in the field speak on this subject. This thing may not affect any, most people any more than the common cold will. Okay, so I don't think there's right. reason for total right. panic. I think the normal precaution. Right. From what I, Mike, take, Michael, from what I'm reading, it's mostly, it, it really badly affects young babies and old, older people like Elderly. I think old people with a weak immune system, people with a weak, but that, but again, you're susceptible to the cold or flu. The flu has a higher mortality rate than this coronavirus does. 
it's not as high as any of the other viruses that we've known about, SARS or any of these other ones in the past. It's extremely low. Even in China, it's only around 2%. So I don't think it's that deadly. And like I said, in the United States, where things tend to be relatively clean anyway, and people take necessary precautions, I think the panic is... Uh, it's all a ploy of the Democratic Party. I don't think there's any problem, any any doubt about that. Uh, but I thought it's important to point out, and I think uh, Senator Tom Cotton has been eluding to the fact that China wasn't releasing any information about this coronavirus and where it may have initiated from. He's been hinting around that it came from a, a weapons lab. They did come out with a statement that said it came from a uh, uh, a, chem a chemical lab or some, some sort so that it could have come from there. They've abandoned the market with rats or bats and uh, whatever the heck else they were eating over there that normal people don't eat. They've abandoned that theory. But I would, I would just encourage people, just take your necessary precautions, wash your hands. If you're sick, don't go out in public. Just those kinds of things are probably good preventative measures. But I really have to applaud the president on how far ahead of this he actually was. You stop and think about how much of an effort he's put forth for various reasons, but I'm sure this was one of them, closing that border. And just recently, we started to hear about how low the apprehensions are, which tells you there's less people coming across. And we've already taken special precautions out of pe for people coming across from Asian countries. I think the president deserves a lot more credit than what they're willing to give him, um, and I think he has a handle on this. And one other point, since there is a patent on this, I think we've been working on this uh, 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 antibody or whatever to this drug uh, vaccine or whatever. I think that's been in the works, and normally those, those things take six to eight months to create in the lab. And we're looking at probably a few weeks to have this done in the United States. So I think we have a pretty good handle on it. And that's all I really want to say about that. I just want people to to take the necessary precautions, and I think they'll be fine. With regards to this debate, Rory, uh, you know, that was about the most chaotic uh, presidential debate probably in the history of mankind. And the moderators are weak at best. I don't know whether they're afraid to pin somebody down on something. There's never been a hard question asked in a debate unless they were trying to favor one candidate or the other. And the ultimate winner in the long run is President Trump. There's no doubt about it. You've attended a rally. You know, how, you know what kind of support he has. You know how many Democrats are attending those rallies. You know, and if there's a, a winner in the Democratic Party, when you have a chaotic uh, debate like that, I think Bernie Sanders... As far as the party is concerned, he's the clear winner there. You know, even though they were all attacking him, he came out he came out of it pretty strong. You know, and he didn't seem to lose much support. He lost a little, but not much. So I, I'm not too concerned about uh, the challenge presented to Trump, but I will skip over to the uh, uh, Antifa real quick. I wanted to talk about that just a little. You know, this Antifa is only allowed to operate in, in liberal cities, you know, these radical cities. They don't dare go into these more conservative cities because they wouldn't, wouldn't, they wouldn't tolerate what they're doing. 
And you're right, they're absolutely funded by Soros. It's all part of this rules for radicals and the communist manifesto to create these subgroups within society. Uh, you create these subgroups, that way people have a difficult time uniting. Well, the more subgroups you have, whether it be the transgender people, the Black Lives Matter, Antifa, you name it, all these different sub subgroups they create, uh, it makes it hard for people to unite. And that's their goal. Their goals. And the other thing about Antifa, and I think a lot of people are unaware of this, you know, you have a lot of prominent people hiding behind those masks. You know, if, they, if you ever wanted to be serious about getting rid of Antifa, you have to outlaw the masks they wear. If you're going to use your First Amendment and go out and protest, don't hurt anybody and show your face. And I think a lot of that would go by the wayside. I've seen some pretty prominent people admit that they were part of Antifa, or they were part of this Antifa riot, or this chaos that was created. They just put a mask on so that they, they wouldn't be identified. Well, that's my thought on that. But again, I wanted to make one more point. By creating these subgroups, everybody seems to miss the ultimate point when it comes to the Second Amendment, and that's the right of the people to overthrow an oppressive government. That's what their biggest fear is, and that's why they push to get these guns off the street. They're afraid of having the people take the power back away from them. You create these subgroups, it makes it harder for people to unite, and you take away the guns, if they were united, they can't uh, overtake you. That's my thoughts on that, and I'll leave it alone there. Uh, with regards to Trump suing the New York Times, I think this is critical. And, and you notice he said, uh, he said it would be the first of many. Something like the New York Times, which, which, has, been, which has been failing, they can't, they can't withstand many lawsuits financially. You know, they're a dying breed as it is, and I think financially they could be crippled and probably out of business. You know, I listen closely when the president talks, and when he says they will cease to exist, he knows what he's talking about. So look for some more lawsuits against the New York Times. Uh, regards to uh, withholding uh, uh, funds to sanctuary cities, I think this is a, just a huge, huge win. In large part, again, many good things are going to happen by getting some conservative judges on these courts. And... Uh, I think uh, many of these cities struggle financially anyway because they're giving so much free stuff away. They rely ultimately on federal funding. And I think once you take that federal funding away and you put that burden on the state these cities are in, uh, you'll start to see some of this subside, I think. So I think it's critical that uh, that court ruling came out the way it did and it uh, may lead to a change in attitude in some of these cities. Uh, with regards to uh, Harvey Weinstein, um, I have a couple of thoughts on this. You notice that this Peter Nygaard's offices were raided for sexual trafficking or sex trafficking, right? Well, you got Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, I, I talked about that yesterday. Yeah, I talked about that yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think Weinstein was just the start. I mean, they're do, they're raiding all these people's offices. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I I really believe that what's on those 
Epstein videos that the government now has in their possession. Videos from the Horror Island, Epstein Island over there, right? And I mean horror, I don't mean it sexually. I mean it in uh, uh, like a horror movie type thing. Things that went on on that island. They have videotapes. They have audio. They have video. Epstein had all these tapes for blackmail. When he was arrested, they have all of this. And they killed Epstein thinking that they would stop him from talking, but he had already talked. They already have these tapes. It was in the news uh, just a few days ago they have all these tapes. So Weinstein will be implicated in this. I'm sure this Nygaard's implicated in this and many, many others. Names, some, some names are going to surprise the public, I believe. As far as his safety in prison is concerned, I'd be more concerned that he's going to live based on his health. I'm not sure. But uh, I think the, uh, they'd be hard-pressed to try to pull off another murder in, in these prisons after Epstein with all the heat they took. And I wanted to mention this because uh, this has been a hot topic with me for a long time, you know, on your show is this transgender thing, and I keep saying it's up to the parents. So this lawsuit that, they're, that these parents are filing, I think is a great thing. Because some of these parents, you just go talk to the principal, or you go talk to the school board or whatever, you get shut down. You need to hurt these school boards where it hurts, and that's financially. Uh, if anything that hurts them, it's finance. Because there's so much free stuff given, being given away in schools they need all the money that they can get, and you can cripple them financially, and you can change the attitude by taking them to court, which is another reason it's critical we get these conservative judges in as many districts as we possibly can. Uh, I, I just think it's very important that we do that. And I wanted to uh, mention, uh, you, you had mentioned it a little bit, with regards to stealing this election possibly away from or the nomination away from Bernie, there was an Obama advisor that I saw a comment he made. He said the party doesn't pick the nominee, the superdelegates pick the nominee, right? Uh, I don't know if it's Hillary Clinton. I'm sure they have somebody in the wings. And the way it's looking right now, he may not have enough delegates at the convention and if I were Milwaukee, I'd be prepared for some chaos there. You already know how Bernie supporters are. This could, uh, this could thing could dwarf the 1968 convention in Chicago if they're not careful. Uh, that's just my thought on that. I look for the superdelegates to kick in, much like they did in 2016 with Hillary. I, I think something similar is going to happen. I don't know if you talked about this at all last night, but I'd like to mention this guy once, uh, Philip Haney, the guy they initially said was uh, committed suicide, the hero whistleblower from the Obama administration. Uh, and I hope your listeners know that he was, uh, his primary thing he whistleblew on was the uh, Muslim Brotherhood inside the uh the administration and within our government and how the Obama administration was trying to erase all those records before Trump became president. And that's when he blew the whistle. He goes back 
And I believe he was the guy that was supplying the information to Michelle Bachman. If you remember, you know, she was very outspoken about the Muslim Brotherhood infiltration within our government. And I think a lot of the information she got was probably coming from Philip Haney. Uh, I was glad that law enforcement came out and said that the matter is under investigation. I've worked, I can't tell you how many uh, been called to how many suicide scenes in my life. I have never seen a man commit suicide shooting himself in the chest. Women shoot themselves in the chest so they don't disfigure themselves. Men don't care about that. Men will shoot themselves in the head, whatever it takes to get the job done. So when they said this guy was shot in the chest outside of his vehicle, that was all kinds of red flags went up for me. So I hope they do a sincere investigation on this and see where, where it leads. But uh, I'm convinced this Philip Haney did not commit suicide. Yeah, and, um, and, I, and and Michael, Michael, I talked about I talked about that briefly on my show last night, and it, it seems so weird to me because, you know, the the media originally came out and said it was a suicide. And then hours later, the, the investigators said, oh, how dare you guys? We haven't even came to a conclusion. It's not a suicide yet. We're looking into things. And you, as a retired homicide detective and police chief, you've seen everything. So shooting, shooting yourself in the stomach, and that's what I thought. It's just not, not realistic. Just like Vince Foster didn't shoot himself in the back of the head. Right. Exactly right. And, but, and I mean, Michael, he's the, the, this whistleblower had no reason to kill himself. I mean, I, as far as we know, he wasn't under any depression or stress. It just seems so weird. Go ahead, though. Sorry. No, he, he was he was going to be married here in the next month or so. I mean, and he, he had found Jesus. I mean, he was a real religious guy. He, he, and he told some, he had mentioned to somebody, I wouldn't commit suicide. You know, I'm happy with my life. He would, but like I said, the, the fact that they said he was shot in the chest ultimately, to me, rules out suicide. Now, you can pretty much safely take that to the bank. The other point on Philip Haney is, not only did he blow the whistle on on the Muslim Brotherhood within the administration and within government, there were many other things, once he decided to blow the whistle on that, that he did. And I think that flies under the radar a little bit, so... Like I said, I call this guy a hero. I've seen him on uh, Fox News many, many times. Uh, And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of guts to do what he did because he shouldn't have the Democratic Party protecting him like they do the non-whistleblower Eric Chiamella. Uh, Hopefully that will all come out soon, too. But uh, other than that, uh, that's about all I have for tonight, Will. Unless you have any questions. No, I no, absolutely. Always a pleasure, and uh, you'll stay with us throughout the show. But tell everybody where they can connect with you. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Michael Volsi. Uh, B is in Victor A L S I. Uh, you can send me a direct message or just uh, say hi, help, whatever. Thanks again. For All right, sounds me. good. Michael. Absolutely, always a pleasure having you here. Always love your insight. Um, let's go to uh, let's go to Sam Tully. Sam, go ahead. Uh, you know what I think about Antifa. The, the the group that comes to mind is the brown shirts. 
of those history buffs of ours. You know, Hitler used the brown shirts to create all the confusion and disruption he could before he got into power. And, of course, once he got into power, he used the SS to eliminate the brown shirts because they were no more, con- uh, they weren't convenient anymore. But, uh, yeah, these people are, they may be funded by Soros, but then they, I think they're a fringe group in the liberal wing of that of that party. And, uh, yeah, they use these people to, to create all kinds of unnecessary disruption. That's my thought on them. Um, let me see here. Now, as far as the school, um, I mean, these people suing uh, uh, the school district or whomever about the trans, transgender thing, I think it's a good idea. But until we get enough conservative judges in this country, I think parents need to do more than protest or contact. Their, I, mean, well, I mean, they need to do more than just think about suing because we've got liberal judges that will try to stop anything. They need to take an affirmative action and demand their parental rights, even if it means closing down the schools. I mean, during the Vietnam War, <clears throat> many of the students closed down the colleges. Parents can close down the schools by not letting their kids go there. You know, in California, I assume it's the same way in the rest of these states, that if the body isn't there, then the school doesn't get any money. And these people are supposed to be with the task of uh, educating these children. But we know full well that education is not the primary thing they're doing these days. It's indoctrination. So I think the parents need to be proactive. They need to be very much uh, proactive in that area. As far as Bloomberg and anti-gun, you know, I can never stress enough the fact that the citizens need to learn the Constitution. They need to understand what the Second Amendment is. You know, you keep hearing this lie they try to filter out there that you don't need an assault weapon to go hunting and do this. The Second Amendment has nothing to do with hunting. The Second Amendment, just like the other gentleman said, was put in place to give the citizens recourse in case the government goes crazy. It's supposed to be a government of the people and by the people and for the people. And if we don't have that recourse, then every socialistic country there is, the first thing they did was got rid of the guns. They got rid of the citizens' guns, and then they ran the citizens in the dirt. That's why folks in Venezuela is eating trash now, because they don't have any recourse, you know, to go up against uh, that government. And and one thing I found, you know, J- Japan in World War II, one of the reasons why, besides the fact that it would have been suicide because we outnumbered them, would invade our mainland is because they knew the citizens were armed. That's why even if if if, if and God forbid that if the country ever goes so nuts that they try to disarm the citizens, it'll never happen. We got more guns than we got citizens. And if that's the fact that we got over 300 million Americans here, if we had a gun problem, we'd have killings all over the place. But responsible gun owners are just that. They're responsible. And they're not going to be using their weapons to, to just create chaos. But they will use their weapons to defend their lives, their properties, their family, and their rights. And that that goes back to the founding of this country. Now, uh, let's see. You know, this Harvey Weinstein thing, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to do something with this guy, but it would be a little bit difficult now. But, you know, we shall see. We shall see what, what comes down the pipe because 
any privileged person that's had his way in life all along is not going to want to easily sit by and be incarcerated. You know, if they can, if they can figure out a way to get out of that thing, they will. And if it means um, dragging other folks down with them, they'll do it. Now, I can't watch the Democratic debate. I mean, it, it just drives me cuckoo. But there was a couple of things in this debate that I found out about that is beyond my imagination. Well, one thing in particular, uh, Bernie says that he is going to promote, he's going to help minorities in the black and brown communities by helping them create marijuana businesses. Now, think about that. Number one, we got the lowest unemployment in history for all demographics right now. So it's not a, it's not a point. Matter of fact, we could probably got more jobs and got people working. Do I still got you, Roy? Yeah, I'm here. We're still here. Oh, okay. Make sure out there. Okay, we we got we got more jobs and we got people working. But here he is. He's gonna say he's gonna help the black and brown community by opening up, helping them open up marijuana businesses. Number one off the top, just yes. Yeah, I couldn't believe that statement when he actually said that. I'm like, he actually said that. I couldn't believe. I saw that and I was like, wow. I said that is. So racist off the top, because, because because if he wanted to be pragmatic and inclusive, he would have said he was going to try to help open up marijuana businesses all throughout all demographics and all ethnic groups. That's number one. Number two, if you want to control people, besides keeping them ignorant, you keep them anesthetized. If you can keep them anesthetized and you can keep them uh, sucking on the government's mammary gland, all their life, then you can control them. And I look at this as, I mean, I, I cannot, I, I asked a, a, a one of my relatives that supports Bernie Sanders, and I asked him, name me one ethnic cultural group that has progressed through the use of mind-altering substances. Just one. One culture, one group of people. Of course, there, there is there, there was no answer to that because it doesn't happen. I mean, it, it, it amazes me the chutzpah, and I this, that's my understanding of the Jewish term for that, or the gonads for somebody to even say something like that. And of course, we have a we we have this mainstream media that won't pick up on something like that. You know, it, it, it just it just baffles my mind the the ignorance, the stupidity, and I don't know if the guy is just purposely uh, condescending and racist or if he thinks that this is what the black community wants. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's, but whatever I know is it will, not, it will not help anybody. It will not lift up a society. It will not lift up a people. It will not even, I mean, who are they going to sell it to? I mean, sure, you can get some people from the suburbs coming by, but then you're going to anesthetize the rest of your community. You're going to keep people uh, uh, dumbed down because the schools are dead, and then you're going to keep them mind, their, their minds are so soft that they won't know what to do and how to compete. That was one. The other one was not in the debate. But I understand that our dear Representative Claiborne from, I believe, South Carolina, 
he was he was being interviewed by somebody. Oh, that statement he made. Are you talking about where he made the statement yeah. saying, "So what if it's the lowest black unemployment ever? We were working in slavery too." Are you talking about that one? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we said we had full employment in slavery. <laughs> full employment. <laughs> now, a friend of mine sent me. You know, he posted on my page. I want to read it. Uh, a, a, a quotation by Booker T. Washington that I hadn't thought about in a long time. But Claiborne, yeah. to me, uh, fits this quotation, and here it is. He said, and of course, this is Booker T. Washington, so we're talking about in the early 1900s. There is another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Having learned that they are able to make a living out of their troubles, they have grown into the settled habit of advertising their wrongs, partly because they want sympathy and partly because it pays. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs. Now, people like Claiborne, people like Al Sharpton and Jesse or any of these other jokers that claim they represent black folks but are always promoting things and ideas and mindsets that are detrimental to promoting anyone. They are what Booker Washington was stating here or what is commonly known as the House Negro because their job is to keep people in line, to keep people uh, from thinking beyond where they are. And for Claiborne to say some mind-numbingly stupid stuff like that, to completely ignore the fact that, number one, we have the, 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 the best uh, economic situation that black folks have had in the last 50 years, and number two, to equate slavery with full employment. Maybe, maybe Representative Claiborne didn't understand that the slaves weren't getting paid. The slaves didn't have benefits. The slaves couldn't quit and move on to another job. I mean, he he and his ilk and, and, and people like this exasperate me. I mean, it, it, it's just my hope that we have enough people with enough intelligence, enough common sense, and enough gray matter to think beyond the stupidity and, and folks like him need to go away. You know, they, they they just need to go away because they are beyond the pale. They are beyond redemption. I think they have what uh, the King James Bible calls a reprobate mind. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, they're just gone. And let me close out with this thing on this coronavirus thing. I agree with what you said. I think they say like 40,000 people die every year from the flu. We never talk about it. 50,000-something people die every year from car wrecks. They don't talk about it that much. But every now and then, if the media can get a hold of something, that they can generate fear. Because one of the main weapons that the media and, and liberals use is fear. And if they can, and if they can get you afraid, that helps control you. And one thing they all want to do is to control you. And, of course, I've, I've even heard reports where people are trying to say, well, this is uh, Trump's Katrina. Well, number one, Trump didn't create the virus. Trump took affirmative steps to try to stop the thing before we even knew what we were dealing with. And and how it could be is Katrina, this is just people talking out the side of their, 
their head because everything is Trump's fault, no matter what it is, as long as it's bad. Even the good is his fault because you've got to figure out a way to make the good bad. So that's what I got. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Amen. Amen. And Sam, uh, uh, I know you're, you're going to join us the entire show, but uh, tell everybody where they can connect with you as well. Yeah, they can connect with me on my website at nhimfirst.com or Samuel Tolley on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. All righty, sounds good. Everybody, I got, I, got a lot to, I got a lot of people to get to tonight on the panel, everybody. I'm going to come right back and take a quick commercial. Stay with us. A lot to get into. This is the Rory Sodder Show. It's a beautiful night. TGI Friday's famous sizzling entrees that you know and love like chicken, shrimp, and cheese just got even hotter. With new delicious tastes like whiskey, flat iron steak, and the tastiest sizzling street noodles. Hurry in. Now starting at only $10. We bring the sizzle like no other. New sizzling entrees starting at $10. TGI Friday's, the home of endless apps. Endless apps every night, 9 p.m. to close. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from the Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from the Rory Sodder Show. Please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com for all your authentic, customized, and creative President Trump apparel and merchandise. You won't find products like this anywhere else. And best part of all, it's made here right in the USA. Use Mega45 at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com today for a wide variety of great selections. Thank you. She's still the one for you, and Cialis for daily use helps you be ready anytime the moment is right. Cialis is also the only daily ED tablet approved to treat symptoms of BPH, like needing to go frequently. Tell your doctor about all your medical conditions and medicines, and ask if your heart is healthy enough for sex. Do not take Cialis if you take nitrates for chest pain, as it may cause an unsafe drop in blood pressure. Do not drink alcohol in excess. Side effects may include headache, upset stomach, delayed backache, or muscle ache. To avoid long-term injury, get medical help right away for an erection lasting more than four hours. If you have any sudden decrease or loss in hearing or vision, or any allergic reactions like rash, hives, swelling of the lips, tongue, or throat, or difficulty breathing or swallowing, stop taking Cialis and get medical help right away. Ask your doctor about Cialis for daily use and a free 30-tablet trial. Packaging. I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey, I tried the patch, they didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was going to work for me until I tried Chantix. Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced my urge to smoke. I needed that to quit. When you try to quit smoking, with or without Chantix, you may have nicotine withdrawal symptoms. Some people had changes in behavior or thinking, aggression, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, or suicidal thoughts or actions with Chantix. Serious side effects may include seizures, new or worse heart or blood vessel problems, sleepwalking, or allergic and skin reactions, which can be life-threatening. Stop Chantix and get help right away if you have any of these. 
Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea. I can't tell you how good it feels to have smoke behind me. Talk to your doctor about Chantix. And we are back. The Rory Sodder Show, coast to coast, worldwide. Listen to in 25 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms. And everybody, if you miss me, past clips, past episodes, we need 24-7 breaking news coverage. Visit my media site, the next, N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N, USA, dot com. Our first guest tonight I would like to introduce, I believe he's with us right now. We have the president of the National Right to Work Committee and the president of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, Mark Mix. Mark, welcome, buddy. How are you? Rory, I'm doing fine. Thanks for the opportunity to be on with you this evening. Well, I'm happy to have you here, and I know you have quite the resume and first time on the show, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I I work for the National Right to Work Committee and the National Right to Work Foundation. I've been doing that work for about 34 years now, and uh, it was uh, an exciting job to get out of college, It was, uh, but it got more exciting the more I got into the idea of protecting individual workers across the country from forced unionism. A right to work organization has been around since 1955, and our sole purpose is to help individual employees across the country get work without having to pay dues to a labor union. Believe it or not, since 1935 in this country, workers can be compelled by federal law to pay union officials a fee or union dues just to work. Uh, since 1947, states have been able to pass what are known as right-to-work laws. They're very simple. They say you have the right to join a union. You have a right to participate with a union. In fact, you can give your entire paycheck to a union if you choose to do so, but you can't be forced to pay fees uh, to get or keep a job. And 27 states have those laws on the books, and it's been a privilege to, to work with literally hundreds of thousands and actually millions of people across the country in defending individual workers' right to choose at both the committee and the foundation. That's remarkable. That's absolutely remarkable. And so so tell us about the industry. So t- tell us your day-to-day operations, how it all it works. And obviously I know you guys are pretty popular. And um, tell, tell us about it, though. Yeah, sure. Well, on the committee side, we uh, track every state legislature across the country and the United States Congress. We try to keep track of all the bills that are being introduced, and, and some of them are our bills, and others, uh, lots of other ones are bills that are introduced by organized labor to expand their power over, worker, over workers either in the private sector or in the public sector, and most of it now is in the government sector where union officials have found their final frontier, you know, trying to organize government employees across the country. And so as we work through the committee and through the legislative process, we, we push for the passage of right-to-work laws. We passed five new laws in the last eight years in states that people thought would never be right-to-work. States like Michigan and Indiana and Wisconsin and West Virginia and Kentucky have all passed right-to-work laws uh, since 2012. That's been very exciting. On the litigation side at the National Right-to-Work Legal Defense Foundation, uh, we have 21 staff lawyers who simply provide free legal representation to workers who have had their rights violated by forced unionism uh, uh, situations. And our biggest victory probably came two years ago, well, less than two, year ago, two years ago, in a case called Janice v. Asme. Our attorneys argued at the United States Supreme Court on behalf of a worker from Illinois who decided he didn't want to be forced to pay dues or fees to a union uh, that he was forced to accept as his representative. And he, uh, he found us. We litigated the case all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. 
And on June 27th of 2018, the last case decided by the court that in that term, uh, they basically said that no government worker anywhere in America could be forced to pay dues or fees to work for their government. That means that at the township level, at the village level, at the county level, at the state level, and at the federal level, no worker can be compelled to pay dues or fees to get or keep a job to work for their government. That basically, Rory, is a national right-to-work law for every government employee in the country. But obviously there's lots more to do, and and as we uh, move toward November – there's obviously lots at stake. Um, you know, union officials have not stopped. In fact, just uh, two weeks ago, uh, they passed a bill uh, through the House of Representatives that would repeal by federal decree all 27 right-to-work laws and do lots of other mischief that would give power to union officials, not much power to workers, that's for sure, but power to union officials to control the lives right. of working men and women across the country. And that's really outrageous is what that is. And that bill passed, and it's sitting ready out for a vote in the Senate. I think the Senate will stop it. The president put out a veto message on the bill, um, but that shows you what's what the stakes are as we head into November. Right? No. Well. Well. Uh, no. And let me get this straight. So you, what you're doing, what the company you're involved with is the opposite. It's the alternative to the to a union. Basically, it, it's in a lot of ways you're, you're helping people, you know, find work and, and staying in that position. But you're not making them pay like unions do. Because don't you think unions have a lot of mob mentality? I mean, they kind of do, don't they? Well, they have a they have an interesting history. Obviously, there are bad apples. But, but am I right? The way I described it, did, did I did I point that out right? Basically, you guys are the well, alternative. Well, Rory, you know, yeah, the idea the idea that someone can come up to you and say you have to pay me in order to work has kind of a mafia type of uh, aura about it, about it, kind of a racket. You know, the idea that uh, you know you can't do something, you can't work unless you pay me. And that's really what federal law said way back in 1935 under the Franklin Roosevelt New Deal. They basically gave union officials the power to say to a worker, you can't work where you'd like to work unless you join the union and pay dues. And from 1937, when the Supreme Court upheld the constitutionality of that, believe it or not, to 1963, when they looked at it again and the Supreme Court said, you know, we we probably shouldn't force people to join a union, but we should be able to force them to pay up to 100% of dues. So what we're doing is we don't we don't contest whether or not it's a, if they work voluntarily join a union we actually believe in that if they want to do that and they want to join and participate and amplify their voice through a union or through someone speaking for them at their workplace that's fine but don't force everyone into that unit if they don't want to and surely don't make them pay you take away their right to represent themselves and then you take then you force them to pay for that that violation of their association rights and it's a really bad mixture and it's really bad policy and union officials, you know, they, they cry crocodile tears all the time about our work because we're freeing workers and give workers the choice, these workers that they claim to represent. But the bottom line is this. If they were doing good things for workers, people would join them voluntarily, and that's really the best labor policy is voluntary unionism, or if you choose, no unions at all. Well, absolutely. Amen. And, and how do you compare – you know, I want to ask you to kind of analyze this a little bit. I mean, would you say the union unions today are very similar to how they were when Jimmy Hoffa was was in charge back in the day? I mean, do you think that uh, it, it's kind of the same ideology? Do you think obviously times are different, but do you think you know pretty much it's the same basis, right? It's the same sort of concept. It hasn't really well, they have changed in that regard, has it? 
Yeah, they had the same privilege and the same power. And, and frankly, what happens, and we have a very interesting, and I say that with my finger quotes, a very interesting case study right now in Detroit. The United Auto Workers, one of the biggest unions in the country, is going through what is probably going to end up being um, a federally imposed trustee on their union because the, the criminality in that union at the highest levels is really off the charts. In fact, I think 12 UAW executives have either been indicted or convicted of crimes against the workers they claim to represent. What the federal prosecutor set up there in Detroit said, these people are stealing workers' money. And the two international presidents, uh, Dennis Williams, who was an international president before, a guy by the name of Gary Jones, or Ron, yeah, Gary Jones, these two presidents, one of them, the current president, had his house raided by the FBI. The former president had his house raided by the FBI. Those two presidents have moved on. There's another president that's under a cloud of scandal that's currently serving right now. And then these people were – they had all kinds of rackets going. They were selling watches and clothing and, and uh, convention decorations and all kinds of things, and they were pocketing the money. It was really – it's really an embarrassment for the union movement. But, Rory, to your point, the reason why they can do this and the reason why this corruption becomes evident, and there's lots of it across the country, is because they have the power of compulsion. They don't have to sell a product to workers. They can sit back and take this money in every month, and the workers have no chance, no say, because if they don't pay it, they don't work. And that type of corruption is a, is a product of the type of compulsion that's been granted to union officials under federal law. And only the right-to-work laws in 27 states protect workers from being forced to pay for that type of behavior. So, yeah, the answer to your question in general terms is yes, they still have this power. And they use it in ways that are detrimental to workers, and uh, they can't get over the fact that if they do good things and sell their product to workers, people will buy it. But they want government to impose it on workers, which is really a bad policy. How, now, let me ask you this. I think, I think this is the most important question. What do you see as the future for unions? Do you see it being a powerhouse forever, or do you see them slowly diminishing and slowing down and not being the powerhouse that they once were? Well, I think there's a couple of things, factors going on right now as it relates to that. First of all, they, I mean, just this morning, uh, the Service Employees International Union announced that they were going to spend $150 million to defeat Donald Trump. So um, that doesn't sound like a union that's, uh, that's dissipating or, or shying away from political activity. Their power is resident in government. They got their power in 1935 from Franklin Roosevelt. They expanded their power through the, you know, through the Truman years and through the Eisenhower years and through the Lyndon Johnson years and through the Nixon years. And they just kept, and through the Carter years, they kept expanding their power and certainly through the Obama years. And then they started adding the power that state legislatures could grant them to, to organize and unionize state government employees across the country, starting in Wisconsin in 1959 and then moving across to New York and Ohio and, and big states that are now in real fiscal trouble. Uh, so from a standpoint of politics, they're as big and, and mean as they've ever been. They've got as much money as they need to spend on politics. In fact, Rory, we estimate they're going to spend about $2 billion, that's $2 billion with a B, Dollars over the this in this two-year cycle to defeat Trump, get control of the Senate, and maintain their power in the U.S. House of Representatives. Nobody plays with that kind of money. Although I guess Mike Bloomberg is prepared to spend that much, but but you know in the 2016 election they spent more than the, the DNC, they spent more than the RNC, they spent more than Trump, they met, spent more than Hillary. Um, you know they spent more than anybody else in the political uh, arena, and uh, you know it. <laughs> They, because they're wards of the state. Their power is a derivative of government action, and so therefore they have right. to be political. 
Now, from a standpoint of if they get if, if we're able to pass a national right to work law and they have to go out and provide services to workers, I believe there's a future for them. But if they continue to rely on politics for their power, uh, that's not a winning recipe at all. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, man, uh, Mark. You know, I I I could talk to you all day, and um, you know, I I I, I got to let you go here in a second, but. Um, I see you're always on all these different channels. You're always on Fox. You're always on the mainstream. You do a lot of columns. Tell everybody about that. I know you're very involved and always give great insight. Well, you know, it's it, Rory, it's a real a great opportunity to be out and talk to people through various platforms and various arenas and like this one. I mean, it's important that we get out and tell the story because this story, interesting enough, doesn't get told enough about the idea that union officials have this privilege over working men and women in the country. And, and we're not asking for anyone to be against unions per se. We're asking them to be against forced unionism. And anytime we get to talk about that, no matter what the venue or what the, what the platform, we're glad to do it. I enjoy doing it. It's become a passion of mine. Um, you know, it's, I'm still a one-career man. I'm kind of a dinosaur in this world of, uh, of changing careers seven or eight times throughout your lifetime. But uh, uh, I've been doing this for 34 years. I came from a union household. I understand how the process works. And uh, it's been a real privilege to stand up and fight for individual worker freedom and liberty in the workplace. These are First Amendment, you know, associational rights that we're talking about here. It's the fundamental basis of who we are as a country, that we believe in individual freedom and individual liberty. And anything that, that violates that individual freedom is something we ought to fight against. And forced unionism, forcing someone to pay dues to a private organization to work, is a violation of their rights for sure. Amen, brother. Amen. Well. Tell if, we're going to get you back very soon. I got a lot more to talk to you about, but tell everybody where they can find you, connect with you, uh, get involved, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, it's real simple. We uh, we have one of those those websites on the on the amazing World Wide Web. They can find us at www.nrtw.org, nrtw.org, and that's where they can find information about the foundation. They can find information about legislation in the committee at nrtwc, nrtwc.org. So they can find all the information they need there, and there's lots of contact uh, information there. I think we're on Twitter and all that other stuff, so uh, we're out there in the world. Just, just Google Right to Work, and you'll find us. All right, Mark. I, lo- I, I really love talking to you, man. This has really been cool. So let's definitely chat, chat soon, and let's get you back on the program. Be my pleasure. Thanks, Rory. All righty, man. God bless. Take care. I want to welcome now, I believe he's with us, we have – Lawyer and U.S. former U.S. congressional candidate from New York, Michael Michael O'Reilly. Michael, what's up, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Rory? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How are you, man? Welcome to the show. Happy to have you here. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, sure. Uh, I'm from New York City. In case the accent hasn't given it away, uh, I love the actually, accent. I love it. <laughs> Actually, from Queens, New York, uh, home of another famous resident, uh, a guy named Donald Trump, uh, although his, his amen, neighborhood was amen, a bit nicer baby. than mine. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's see. I received my Bachelor of Science degree uh, in aeronautics down in uh, Florida Tech. I always wanted to be a pilot. Um, after college, I earned my commission in the United States Marine Corps, uh, Quantico, Virginia, wasn't able to fly in the Marines because my eyesight slipped a bit, but I ended up uh, eventually becoming an airline pilot and now a uh, charter pilot. They lowered the standards a bit. Um, 
Anyway, when I came back to New York, I, I landed a job in a, a small brokerage firm on Wall Street. And um, believe me, um, Elizabeth Warren has no target on my back. I didn't make very much money doing it. Um, <laughs> you know, speculating. Yeah, speculating with other people's money just uh, turned out not to be my thing. You know, I wasn't I wasn't good at it. So um, I regrouped. I ended up going to New York Law School. Earned my JD and I became a regulatory slash compliance attorney uh, again down on Wall Street. And, and you know, Rory, I think I think it was there that uh, you know seeing firsthand the uh, the incompetency of these bureaucratic agencies, you know, just drafting all of these regulations that really just drove so much business out of the U.S. And you know, back then people would just would just say, you know, you you you, you can't do business in the U.S. Everybody knew it. It was horrible. Um, and, and it did nothing to protect the class of people that it was supposed to protect. So, you know, in fact, it hurt them. So I think, you know, seeing all of this firsthand and dealing with all of this kind of catapulted me into, uh, you know, this next chapter of my life, uh, you know, politics. Um, and so, as you mentioned, I, I ran for U.S. Congress in 2016 um, against an 11-term incumbent, you know, I'm a big proponent of uh, term limits, by the way, but I, I ran against this guy, uh, Greg Meeks, uh, who, by the way, was he was voted the most corrupt member of Congress at the time, uh, which was a pretty competitive field, but he, he led it. And um, long story short, I lost. Um, you know, there'll be no, no book about what happened or anything. I lost. Uh, but I do like to say I came in second. Um but my, neighbor, my neighborhood, you know, it, it, there's a lot of minorities, there's a lot of Democrats, and they, you know, 2016, as you can imagine, they were lined up around the block, uh, you know, waiting to vote for Hillary, and then by extension, of course, straight down the line. So, you know, I lost that election, but much more importantly, Trump won. And, you know, that was, that was a, big, uh, a big win. And, you know... Of course, we know what happened after that. You know, half the country were absolutely repulsed. They were livid, you know, that this coronation wasn't going to go off as scheduled. And, you know, to this day, I, I don't understand it. I mean, when, when, uh, when Barack Obama won, you know, he wasn't my guy twice. Uh, but unlike these socialists and never Trumpers, you know, I hoped Obama would succeed. I mean, and in a lot of ways, he has succeeded. You know, I, I give credit where credit's due. I don't, I, I don't, he wasn't my guy. I don't care for him, but he, he had some accomplishments. Um, you know, I certainly didn't hope that he would fail, which is what we're seeing today in, in this environment. And, you know, it just astounds me. Um, you know, it's like, it's like getting on an airplane, Roy, and you don't like the pilot, so you hope he crashes. You know, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. So that's that's where I'm at, um, you know. Uh, but anyway, so 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 Trump did win, and, and uh, you know, he was uh, immediately deemed illegitimate because of this, you know, Russian collusion or whatever. And you know, um, you know, in my opinion, and I'm sort of going off track here a little bit, but in my opinion, there was no Russian collusion. There, you know, there was Russian interference. Um, but the, the, the press seemed to to merge these two, so I'm, I'm kind of 
kind of astounded that uh, this is what got me into the politics. I'm astounded at the division in this country, and I'm astounded that, uh, you know, people, you know, I understand in the beginning, you know, I recognize I'm a pilot. I travel a lot around the country. I recognize that people around this country are probably a lot more refined and a lot a lot well-mannered than some of the people in, in, in my, in, in New York, where I'm from and where from President Trump's from, you know, we, 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 we speak pretty bluntly. Um, but I mean, three years into this, he's three years deep into his presidency. There's been some amazing accomplishments. Uh, you know, I, I would have thought all their fears would have been, you know, quelled. Uh, we didn't, we didn't get into a nuclear war. The economy didn't tank, you know, all of these other things didn't happen. Uh, Russia didn't take over the United States. Um, none of that happened. So, but but the level of hatred has not changed for the guy. So I'm I'm, I'm pretty astounded at that. And I want to ask you. You know, you, you you ran for office in New York, and and we're seeing kind of a transformation. We're kind of seeing a lot of moderates coming around to President Trump. What do you what do you see as the climate there? I mean, do you think a lot of them? are, you know, especially because, you know, I, I only think it really gets really left when you get to certain parts of New York City. But when you get on the outskirts, there's quite a few, I don't want to say 100% conservatives, but moderate, you know, people that don't want socialism. But what's, what's been your reaction in the state of New York and just what, the area you were running, your district and stuff like that? What, what, how, do you, how do you feel? I mean, I, I see a lot of people walking away from the Democratic Party and you know, they may not agree with everything Trump does, but uh, it's a hell of a lot better, like I said, than communism. Well, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, um, there's sort of a misconception, I think, about New York, uh, and I understand it with the rest of the country. If, if you look at a map, you know, just a, a map, not population or anything, I mean, New York, it's almost all red, which is surprising. All of upstate, for the most part, is red. Uh, Long Island is, is, you know, at least purple. Um, you know, Staten Island is, is sort of blue. And, you know, a lot of the, it's Manhattan, it's the Bronx, it's Brooklyn. But these are the high population areas. And they basically, you know, dictate um, the state. But, I mean, even, even uh, Governor Cuomo, who <laughs> this will be another whole radio show, get me started on that. But even Governor Cuomo, he, you know, there's 62 counties in New York. And he only won 11 of them, but he won by a landslide. So New York in general is, is basically, you know, very red. And, and to your point, I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of the, the, the Democrats, I mean, you know, my, my neighborhood is very blue collar. Um, they, they, are looking, they are looking for the exit. You know, they're not ready to go over to the Republicans, but they're, 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 you know, they're not Bernie Sanders Democrats anymore. So they're looking for the exit. No, I hear you. I, I hear you. And it's, you know, we're dealing with, um, we're, we're dealing with crazy, crazy radicals at this point. I mean, you know, with, with the left and how, how crazy they've gone and, I will say, man, I, I'll tell you what, I, I love everything. I, what's the plan for your future? Are you think you're going to run again? You think, because we need people like you in there. I mean, you, you got all the experience. I mean, you, you've done, you've done, you have the resume for what, for what we want in Washington. 
Well, I definitely appreciate that. I take that as, as an absolute compliment and, and appreciate it. Uh, I have been asked, you know, several times to run for, for, for various offices. Uh, it has to make sense, Wally. Uh, it has to make sense. You know, I, like I said, I ran for Congress in 2016. I put a lot of my own money in, a lot of my, you know, a lot of time. Um, and looking back on it, it just it, it wasn't going to happen. That was a presidential year and this and that. Um, but I will, I will be running again um, because I just can't help myself. <laughs> um, you know, I get, yeah. I get so emotional about this stuff, as you do. Uh, but I will be running again, but it's, it's going to be something that makes sense. And I have, I have a few uh, seeds of ideas in my mind, um, which once they come to fruition, I, I, you know, I'd love to uh, expand upon it with you. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Well, I love having you on. Let's definitely get you to be a regular on the show. I'd love to have you on weekly. Uh, you got good insight. Uh, I do got to move on to the next guest, but tell everybody where they can connect with you, where they can get involved, all that good stuff. Well, I, I don't have anything set up right now, but I, I you know, I certainly um, enthusiastically accept the invitation to come on again. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy it. And then, you know, there is a, uh, you know, there will be things happening in the future with me, and there will be websites, and there will be, uh, you know, places to connect. So uh, thank you very much, Rory. Appreciate it. Absolutely. If you, if you still want to listen to the show, absolutely stay on the line. we got a little more to get into tonight. But, uh, but I love having you on. Let's definitely get you back on to here very soon. Let's talk a lot more. Very good, and I will stay on. I'm enjoying it. All right, buddy. Well, God bless you. Thank you. Thanks, Rory. Um, let's see. Uh, I want to introduce, I believe she's with us. We have actress Tracy Lindsay. How do I pronounce it? Is it Melkier? Did I do it right? It's Melkier. Melkier. Okay. All right. I was close. All right. How are you, Tracy? Welcome to the show. I'm good to have you here. I'm well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit. Absolutely. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm um, an actress out here in L.A. I've been um, doing this for quite a while, since the 90s. I'm mostly known for my work on soap operas, but I've done quite a few faith-based films as well, Beverly Hills Cop 3. I had a series on BET last year called Games People Play, and then I also was on the last episode of Criminal Minds last week. Um, Very nice. yeah, and then most recently, my passion project, I'm doing a documentary on law enforcement, trying to bring some mutual respect back to law enforcement. I love that, and it's so needed, especially with how there's such a huge war and, and all these unnecessary attacks on police, um, you know, yeah. and, and really, you know, and tell, to actually tell, tell us about that. I, you know, I'm curious to hear more because I know you, you're doing a lot for the community, and I know being a conservative in Hollywood is not very easy. <laughs> Shoot, you're not supposed to say anything. No, I'm just kidding. I think everybody <laughs> knows. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I am actually the daughter and wife of police officers. Um, I love my it. Husband, I love it. Amen. Thank you. My husband's been um, 30 years now. He did 23 years LAPD, and 16 of them were on the SWAT team. So he's definitely been in the middle of some high-profile events, and, um, and you know, I've, I've always 
been very supportive of law enforcement and proud of it and advocated for them and was on the uh, American Police Hall of Fame um, board and, you know, have done a lot of things that way. But when things changed in society, the shift ever since Ferguson and then the ambush on the Dallas police officers, I was like, okay, you know what? I need to do more. And so I decided to use my background in acting to do a documentary film, and it's going to be so different than every other documentary you've seen on law enforcement because I'm going to blend these two worlds in a way that's never been done, and I'm going to challenge perspectives through story, through anecdotal stories, because I learned if you, if you just give people facts, they're going to argue the facts. People don't want to know the truth. They only want to know what makes what they believe true. If it doesn't make what they believe true, they're going to discount it and they're going to discredit it. So I'm taking a very different approach to try and just mend some fences. I know that there's a lot of people who are never going to, you know, it's not going to be a kumbaya moment with a lot of people. But it's just going to get people to think a little bit more like, I never thought about it that way. Maybe it's not so bad. Or I guess I understand a little bit more why they need me to do that. So that's the goal. Um, And it's the intention of it, too, is not just to be like, let's go to dinner and then go see Monochrome. It's going to be more of a community engagement event. So the idea will be that you would go and then afterwards we would have a conversation with police officers following the screening. I love it. I mean, it, it's really great. And let me ask you, what what's the kind of response you're getting from this, you know, just from various people? I'm sure, you know, certain uh, individuals know you're making something like this. I, I'm sure most of the 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 um, the responses are, are praise and good, but I'm sure you probably get um, some haters in there. But what, what's what's been like the, the response? I have to say I'm actually sort of waiting for the haters. They haven't come yet. Um, I'm very okay. grateful for that and very surprised, yeah. as I'm sure you are. Um, right. But I think the reason I'm not is because this isn't about a two-hour commercial about how great law enforcement is and you should like them no matter what. That's not what I'm doing. I think because the approach I'm taking is not provocative in any way. It is seriously a an intention to bring peace, um, mutual respect, understanding. That's it. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to like them. But this is the best way to engage with them in your own best interest. Um, And then not saying every cop and every police officer does everything 100% right every time. But if they don't, here's the best way to do it. Um, I'm taking more of that approach. And I think maybe that's why I'm not getting the hate that I was a little nervous about getting as well, because I thought people would read it. But so far, I think the message has been conveyed well enough that people understand this is really about putting each other in each other's shoes and gaining some understanding. And, so. and like something like this, like like explain to the audience. So something like this, how how long does it take to film something like this? How long have you put into this? You know, how, how much funding uh, is it? Is it you know where? What are the locations? What's like the daily daily operation in terms of like the the filming? How does it all go down? What, what tell us about that? 
Well, I'm about ready to put myself on a street corner with a little can to collect money, <laughs> to be honest with you. That'll be my daily thing. I'm, I have gotten such amazing responses, and I have every police union all the way up the you know Pacific Coast here has been like, yes, please do it. We love it. I've presented it um, all over the place. Everyone loves it. Unfortunately, the funding has been humbling, um, to say the least. I actually say fundraising is the other F word. Um, I'm not a closer, apparently, because I have a lot of people, you know, say they love it, but aren't kind of putting their money where their mouth is quite yet. But I am starting to get some. And, um, you know, a girlfriend of mine had done a documentary she had just finished one when I started this and she's like, yeah, it took me three years. And I was thinking inside with my, you know, arrogance, like, yeah, it took you three years. I'll be mine. No, mine will be done in a year. No, it's been, a, it's been about two and a half now. <laughs> I've been humbled. It's not easy. The funding I would say is, is the hardest part. I have to stop a lot and raise the funds because I want it right. You know, I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of eyes on this, and the goal is to have it as a docu-series. So getting this first one right is so important. And so I've shot some of it as I've raised a little bit of money. I've been shooting so that I have something to show people to keep fundraising. Um, But I think it's really important to get this first one right because it will really set the tone. And I think once people see what I'm doing and how different it is and how it can work, I'm using what we learn as actors, which is, you know, putting yourself in someone's shoes, understanding what their objective is. What's the obstacle? What's the objective? How do you overcome the obstacle? You know, I'm just taking a very pragmatic, like, human behavior approach to both sides um, and and trying to solve a problem. My goal is really how can we solve this problem together? And, I, you know, I've got some pretty impressive people in play to be in it. but, of course, they're all like, well, once it gets some momentum, I'll get in it, you know. So it's just that kind of rolling a ball up a hill right now that I feel like pretty soon I'll get to the top and it'll roll down easier. But I appreciate you letting me on here to get the word out a little bit more. If anybody else um, has any resources or ideas, it's very much a collaboration. It's about bringing communities together. You know, we need our law enforcement um, Trust me, when I get one behind me, I'm not as happy about it either. You know, it's like, dang it, I kind of rolled through that stop or I'm going too fast. And, right. yeah, that stuff's annoying and and what have you. But the trade-off, um, you know, for, for that is, is the comfort and peace that I grew up with, knowing that if I call 911, there's a bunch of people that's going to show up at my door with the utilities and the, the tools to right or wrong. <laughs> And um, and I think it's important that everyone growing up knows that the cops are there to help them. You know, it breaks my heart that there's kids out there growing up today that are taught that yeah. they have to fear the police, that they, they can't turn to them if they need help. And I, I want people to have have the confidence to call 911 and get their problem solved, you know. Right. Amen. Amen. I, I, I do only got about a minute or two left with you, but I want to ask you, I love everything you're saying and you, you bring so much great value and insight and uh, really I would give you such high praise for, you know, taking action on such a important issue, but what's it like, like a day in the life in Hollywood? Like what's it like being on these, these sets and stuff? I, you know, it's probably, you know, <laughs> quite the experience and obviously it's a, well, a different yeah. culture. It's a different world. 
being on sets is great. The actual work of L.A., I love it. I mean, I still feel like I'm just, you know, doing little role-playing in my grandma's basement sometimes. You know, I'm like, this is just so much fun. You know, you're just playing. I, I, I absolutely love working auditioning and procuring jobs is awful. <laughs> and that's what keeps most of the gambling addiction is how I portray it, not to make light of gambling addiction, but it really right. is because sometimes you're just like, I can't do this anymore. I drove all the way to LA. I sat in three <laughs> hours of traffic and I didn't even get the job. I spent an entire day prepping for it, you know, and you don't even get it. And it's so hard sometimes, but then you're like, all right, just one more audition, <laughs> you know, all right, I'll do this one. And and then they pay off, and the work is so fun. You know, artistic yeah. people collaborating on this goal to just get it right. And, you know, a lot of us are in this because we want to make a difference in the world, and we want to, um, you know, use that platform that you get for acting to kind of make a difference in the world. And, um, you know, and I know sometimes that bugs people when they make it too much about their opinions about the world. But right. I know for me, I'm able to use the platform now to do something I believe in and everything I learned from it. And so um, I'm grateful for for a a career that's been good to me. Amen. Well, I love talking to you. Let's get you back on here soon, Tracy. Um, Obviously, I want to talk to you more about the the politics. Yeah, and I want to talk to that right-to-work guy about Screen Actors Guild. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I'll put you guys in contact, but tell everybody where they can get involved with the film, where they can connect with you, all that good stuff. Okay, so monochrome slash documentary is the Facebook page. Police work is is the Instagram page. And then I am spelled T-R-A-C-Y-M-E-L-C-H-I-O-R, and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that. And yeah, give me a holler or connect with me off Rory's page if you can't find me because the way to spell my name is not the easiest. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tra- Tracy, I love it. I love having you on. Uh, you've been a real pleasure. Uh, let's let's get you back on very soon, and, and God bless everything you're doing. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great evening. Let's okay. go to Josh Barnett. Josh, I want to give you the final uh, voice because we only have a few minutes left, and I apologize to people on the panel tonight that I could not get to. It's been a crazy night on the Rory Sodder show, uh, but Josh, you have the floor. Go ahead, my friend. Uh, no problem. No problem, Rory. I'm just, just sending a meeting to give me a reason to break away. I've been here listening to everybody tonight, but um, I know you got my people, David, Jose, and Evelyn on with you as well here soon, and uh, you're going to get a lot of great information out of them about what's going on out here. But um, yeah, I just wanted, you know, the main thing I wanted to touch on was this coronavirus and how, you know, it's affecting, obviously, the stock market. And, and I have a strong feeling, you know, just based on the, uh, the the politics of it with what the Democrats are doing is just very suspicious. Um, I, I have really have a feeling that it's going to backfire, you know, in their face as much like the Russian collusion, the Mueller report, et cetera, et cetera. You know, uh, and once again, you know, all they do is lie, pander, use identity politics, doomsday yep. rhetoric, all behind the sense. You know, I, I get the sense that they, they want our country to fail. You know, it's it's unbelievable right. to me. And um, just to get at Trump, you know, and, uh, um, you know, they want a recession. You know, they, they, uh, they'll they do or say anything to attack the president. And, you know, it's, it's just TDS to like the millionth degree. You know, you had Chuck Schumer who didn't attend one single briefing on the coronavirus. And this, this idiot is out there in the media 
Yeah. You know, running his hey, mouth about how Trump wasn't doing Josh, enough and how he needs eight point five no, billion, Josh, not two point five. It's crazy. Josh, Josh I, I do got to close the show here in about a minute, but I I, let, I can let you go. I, I wanted to get to you a lot more tonight, but the show's just been crazy. I give you a couple like thirty more seconds, but I got to close the show. Oh, you no want problem. to tell everybody no where they can find you and get involved? Yeah, you can reach me at barnettforaz.com, also Barnett for AZ on Twitter and Instagram, and Josh Barnett for Congress on Facebook. Yeah, no, Josh, no, I really apologize, Josh. I only have about a minute left, but I wanted to get, I wanted to get you on earlier, but it's just been crazy. Uh, let's get you on Saturday's show on the AM show with, with Phoenix. Does that sound good? Yeah, that's fine, man. That's fine. Just uh, shoot me a text and we'll work it out, man. All right, buddy, and uh, I really, I'm loving your campaign. I'm loving everything you're doing, um, and, and let's definitely, uh, we'll get, we'll get, uh, get together soon. And I'll get you on the show this weekend. Sounds good. Sounds good, buddy. I'll talk to All you. All right, soon. man. God bless you. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's been an amazing show tonight. Um, we've covered everything. Uh, I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Catch my show Saturday, KFNX, 7 p.m. Eastern, AM Radio. And you'll see me here again next week, as usual. I'm Rory Sodder. Mega, mega, mega. God bless everybody. Much love. Cheers.